should I do my noon drive radio voice? You're listening to CJIQ 88. Oh my. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it. No. It's, it's good. No. I like okay. it. <laughs> you, you can't bring that one out and, and not use it. I, I mean, he just teases like, you. He's like, maybe I yeah, can do like, this like, voice. And you're like, yeah. And he's like, that. no, like, no, I will not. <laughs> it, yeah, literally. We have a caller on the line on line three. Alpha, what do you think about today's vaccine? Yeah, I think that you should be using your radio voice is what I think. <laughs> Alpha, Joe Biden is giving us 4 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine. Excellent. That's You're wonderful. But what does it have to do? Yeah, see? Good. Just do it because it's amazing. Okay. Well, Jen is looking at me with her mouth open. <laughs> like, what is going on? <laughs> it, hopefully in a good way. Yeah, I don't know. I guess yeah, we'll find out when okay. this call hangs up. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wait, wait, he's not slurring. What? <laughs> That's right. There's no drool. No drool. Oh, my God. I've never been more offended. Well, you're, you're, drool you're in appropriate moments, stuff, okay? Right, Stephen, this, this lovely, juicy dialogue. Alpha, when, yes, so sir. we're going to start our, we're, we're gonna start our banter at the 8 o'clock mark then? But let's not banter for too long. No, no, I because MP is going to get mad at us. MP is going to get mad at us. She suffers no fools. No, I know. And I mean, she's calling from the, you know, half. Ooh. It's the at here tag. So why would you use the at here tag and then say, hi, everyone? Because at here only tells people who are online right now. Don, Don I know that. Oh, okay. Thank not you. everyone. Th- thank you for enlightening. You know this 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 technical fact. Uh, we, we we need yeah. precision. We need precision. Is what we. Need. Well, right now we only have one true fan, all the way. Coming at you live from New Zealand on the other side of the international dateline. Her name is Marie Pascal. Marie Pascal, how you doing? Do, you still hey, there, Josh, can you do that again? It has a little bit of a, you know, strip club vibe to it. <laughs> Coming next on stage, you're <laughs> How? Steven oh my Mungle. God, that was so fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so MP's on a bus? She said she was working, so I guess she's giving a oh, tour. Oh, cool. You know, like, we're, we're, this is like the whole, like, it's a real deal. It's the commute. All right, let's get it started. Are we good? We're. Uh, I don't know. Like, what's going on? Yeah, you need the uh, like the beep for the you know. We're oh live. wow, this is great because we've actually got like a you know an official sound engineer. You know, wow. We've got a sound engineer. We're getting a little professional now. I think we've been doing it long enough, Alpha, that we can start to get a little professional. It was punk rock. It was grassroots at the beginning, but here we are. We're punk in the big rock. leagues. We are in the show. So. We are starting. Um, we are starting today our new rebranded version of KW Gamers Podcast. Uh, what are we calling it now? Gamer Geek Lockdown. Is that the one? Something like that. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. It's good. We get some new. We get some new kind of uh, branding. Um, get some new voices. Some new energy. Oh, some new, some new energy. ideas. The juices just flowing. The juices are flowing, which is what we're trying to do here. So. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty excited about it. We've got some international participation now. We've got some people in the States. We've got some people in New Zealand. 
I think that's pretty cool. We also have a librarian. I mean, she's kind of keeping us honest, right? We have a librarian. Like, are we going to get shushed? Because we could get I, shushed. Well, you know what? We could get shushed, but the thing is that the inmates are running the asylum. Right? So, uh, that's true. You know. That's true. All right. Well, I mean, take it away, man. All right. So, yeah, we are at Gamer Geek Lockdown. It's a rebranded GM seminar series. Uh, my name is Josh. I am otherwise known. Well, you know what? On Discord, you can call me Josh. Chowder, Call of the Wear, Pug, whatever you want to call me. I'm the host and moderator for today's session. Uh, And today's session is all about Powered by the Apocalypse system, which is a game system, uh, sort of like how D&D or Pathfinder, Call of Cthulhu, game system. Powered by the Apocalypse is its own system. Um, And here to enlighten us with their experience, perspective, expertise, are tonight's panelist, Gavin, as Discord handles refurbished Doom. And Duan, who is also known on this Discord as Tycho. Just a few things, anybody who's listening in. I have a few housekeeping items. Uh, so this is podcasted. It is being recorded. Uh, so if you are listening in, if you'd be so kind just to be sure that you are muted, uh, just so that way we're not picking up any keyboard sounds, popping, anything like that in the background. Um, we open this up to questions for our panelists. We have a GM's questions channel. My ask is that if you have any questions, to try to keep that in that section. Any banter, uh, try to keep in the seminar chat as well, just so that way I can kind of uh, keep on top of things as we go. Uh, anybody who doesn't necessarily have a question, but you think that somebody comes up with something that is good and you want to hear an answer for, use the thumbs up emoji or any emoji really. Um, and the more votes there are for a question, the more likely I am that I'm going to have it queued up. And general posts, like I say, just keep it in the seminar chat. That's about it. So I guess we're going to get started. Um, why don't we get going here? We'll have Gavin, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been playing, what types of Powered by the Apocalypse games have you played, and uh, a quick spiel as to why you like Powered by the Apocalypse. All right. Um, so thanks, Josh. Uh, uh, yeah, so my name's Gavin. I've been playing role-playing games for roughly, I guess, about 33, 34 years now. Um, got into Powered by the Apocalypse fairly recently, actually. I'm not even sure how recently, but it was as a result of kind of getting involved with Controlled Chaos. Um, my first uh, Powered by the Apocalypse game was actually Blades in the Dark, which isn't actually powered by the Apocalypse. And uh, by the way, folks, for listening, I'm going to start saying PBTA from now on because it's shorter. Uh, PBTA equals powered by the Apocalypse. Uh, Anyway, got into Blades in the Dark um, as a result of playing with Dwan, our other panelist. And since then, uh, for anyone who's gamed with me or or, uh, who I've uh, run any games for, you'll know that I, I I love certain genres more than others. Uh, so I've really gravitated to Monster of the Week, which is a supernatural monster hunting PBTA game. Uh, the Sprawl, which is a really fun cyberpunk game. Uh, and also Apocalypse World, which is kind of the uh, starter game that the whole system gets its lift from. But uh, we'll probably talk about that a little bit more. Great. And we'll just pass it over to Duan then. Duan, do you want to just give us a brief, uh, a brief introduction about yourself? Um, what your favorite game is for Powered by the Apocalypse, why you enjoy Powered by the, by the Apocalypse, and then uh, I guess after that, we'll just open it up and you guys can uh, have a chat. 
Sure. Hi, I'm Duan. Uh, I've been playing uh, role-playing games for maybe a little shorter than than um, Gavin, but not much. Um, I also am fairly uh, recent, um, uh, recent starting to play Powered by the Apocalypse compared to how long I've actually been playing games. I'm, um, I played a lot more uh, uh, 3.5 and, and third edition in in the past before finally getting around to um, being introduced to Powered by the Apocalypse. And um, so I've, I've, I've played a bunch of those games and also some of the um, Forged in the Dark games that are kind of um, adjacent to that, um, Blaze of the Dark, Blaze in the Dark being one of those. And um, I kind of uh, have played a bunch of them, so I enjoy, I, I do really enjoy um, Apocalypse World and uh, games like that. So uh, yeah, I think, I think that's a good start. <laughs> Sure. Um, and, and why don't we just kind of open up the, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll pepper in questions from the chat as they roll in, but sure. um, let's start from the beginning. Um, tell us what is your elevator pitch between the both of you? Uh, what is powered by the apocalypse? I think most people can say, I think it would be safe to say that if you were coming from the perspective of somebody that only knew D and D, how would you sell me on powered by the apocalypse? Uh, what are some of its selling features? What are its sort of core rules versus something like a Dungeons? Sure, uh, Duan, you want to jump in first on that? Um, sure, I could. I can give you a quick rundown um, of what of what Powered by the Apocalypse means to me. So, I mean, um, right away, it's kind of it's an engine that is was first used in um, Apocalypse World by um, Vincent Baker and McGay Baker. And um, that particular game was about, obviously, um, a Mad Max type of um, ruined world where you've got an apocalypse. Um, the games focus more on narrative, um, more, in the, more than D&D generally does. Um, and they, you could say that they focus more on a kind of a genre logic rather than trying to be um, more simulating a fantastical world, um, so to speak. So um, a lot of the structure is around these things called moves, which are just like um, uh, rules that are broken down into like little chunks. Um, and so those moves tend to be more narrative focused rather than just saying so for example in D&D you might say well to hit you roll this dice and if you and if you roll a certain result you hit whereas um powered the by the apocalypse will generally say okay if you're doing this particular thing your 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 aim is to try to avoid a thing then when you roll the dice here's um a variety of things that could um a bit the basic thing is set up where um, you roll two two six-sided dice, and then you add any modifiers that you might have. And usually, um, six or lower is a miss. That means that you you failed to do what you probably wanted to do. Seven to nine is kind of like a weak hit, whereas you you get some of what you want, but you also get um, some complications. And then ten plus tends to be the realm of I you know I got exactly what I wanted. And different games will change this around and play with that formula a little bit, but that's just like a rough, um, a rough thing of how it would go. 
Um, I'm sure you've got plenty to add, Gavin. Feel free to jump in. Sure. Um, yeah, so Duan covered a lot of the basis right there. A couple things I'll add is, um, as, as Duan said, um, Powered by the Apocalypse is very much a, a narrative-driven system. And when I say narrative, at least what I mean is uh, mechanics and sort of simulation are, are, are given a lower priority to uh, things that drive the story forward and keep the action going. Uh, Duan mentioned the core mechanic, which <clears throat> there's some really interesting game design decisions here. Uh, what it is, as Duan said, I believe, is you, you're rolling 2d6 and adding a modifier. Uh, usually it, it's a stat bonus or something else, but it's usually between uh, minus 3 and plus 3. And most characters, when you roll, you're going to be either rolling 2d6 or 2d6 plus something. Uh, as Duan said, 7 to 9 is a... Uh, partial hit or a partial success, depending on which book you're using. Uh, and then 10 and up is a full success. And the really interesting thing here is the way the math works out is that players or characters in a PBTA game will be successful the majority of the time. Um, I think it works out that uh, you have about a 60% chance of some success on a normal 2d6 roll, and that it goes up by about 10% uh, for every plus one you add. And that makes for some different stories than you can tell in other systems. Um, when players know they'll have a measure of success pretty much any time they roll, even if it's something they're not trained in or skilled in, they're more likely to try other uh, sort of techniques rather than what they're specialized in. And that, that middle ground is where the story really comes from, that seven to nine, because it's the ability for a GM to say, yes, you get what you wanted, but I also get to throw in a complication, or you don't get everything you wanted, uh, so I can move this story in a new direction. Uh, so that's a big part of what sets uh, PBTA apart for me. Um, the, yeah, the elevator pitch for me is really that PBTA does a really good job of emulating genre. Uh, so if you pick a particular genre, a TV show, a movie, it's likely there's a PBTA hack out there that can do it or one that could be modified pretty easily. And because PBTA is so genre-driven and so specific uh, in targeting a certain type of story, it does a really good job of pushing the narration and the narrative of that story as it goes along. We can talk about different ways that it does that. I am going to pause, though, and get, give Josh a, Josh a chance to get a word in. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of say, I, I won't lie, I, I have played a little bit of Powered by the Apocalypse. I have not played a ton. But one of the interesting things to me is, is as everybody's kind of said, it's very genre. And what that means is for somebody who's played D&D, &D, you say D&D, &D, you sort of have the Faerun setting, you have the D&D &D kind of um, play style. But Powered by the Apocalypse is, is in a lot of ways, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's pretty much a uh, system-neutral skin. Or, or setting, but you can lay skins over top of it. So you can do all sorts of different interesting things with it. So uh, the, the basic one is Apocalypse World, but you could do everything. You could be bunnies. You could do, you could be like a wrestling. Um, and, and, and what you do is instead of having character classes, you don't have a fighter, a mage, anything like that. You have books or, or sort of, what are, they are called books, correct? Playbooks. Playbooks, generally. yes, playbooks. Yeah. So why don't you just explain to somebody from a player's perspective um, some of the interesting genres that you can kind of do, some of the interesting games that might be like totally out there um, somebody else might do. And another well, I think, um, I think what, what Gavin said was really fun. It's really good for emulating a certain genre. 
Um, and, and the reason I think that is because of the way um, the moves are formulated. So the better um, games are going to be the ones that have a better formulation. And so, um, like, to jump back to explaining or going back to what you were saying about what are the different kind of settings you could do. Um, like you said, there's the Warren, which is kind of like Watership Down. And in that game, one of the moves is like, I haven't actually played it, but I, I'm pretty sure that one of the moves is just like, um, you try to do something that no other rabbit in your your um, group has ever done before. And if you roll wild, they do it. Now everyone knows a new move or something, right? And so that kind of um, says something about the game, right? That says that um, when you're out there exploring, that rabbits are going to be these kind of explorers who are out there trying to do something different and weird and not not usual for quote-unquote rabbit society. Um, so there's that game. Um, one game that we ran here what is um, Pasión de las Pasiones, which is the game of telenovelas. Um, and it was all about um, the passion. And a lot of the moves revolve around having these um, shocking reveals and twists upon twists. And the game kind of encourages that by its very rule structure, right? Because like one of the, the moves is something like um, you can accuse a person of telling a lie. And if you do that and you roll well enough, you're correct. They lied. So it doesn't matter what you're talking about. We just we just have to come back and say, okay, how does this make sense? Because we all thought this guy was actually telling the truth. This is what we saw in the game. But the rules are telling us that this person just accused this person of lying, and they're right. That person did lie. So how do we um, how do we make um, sense of that? And that gives us this game that is very weird, and um, there's like back and forth as far as like these these crazy reveals and people talking about their backstories and, and crazy, like, you know, um, um, uh, these people saying uh, how much they love each other and declarations of love, et cetera. So um, those, those are just a few of the different ones. Um, I don't want to take up all the time. Gavin, do you, over to you, buddy. All right. Um... <clears throat> Actually, just going to post a move into the seminar chat here because uh, Dewan and I are talking about moves a lot. Um, it might actually be helpful just to real quickly go through one here, so you, you know kind of what we're talking about. Uh, the way that Powered by the Apocalypse handles uh, abilities and uh, actions that you take are through what's called moves. Uh, every PC will have access to the basic moves in a game, so these are things like. Uh, and I'm going to go to Monster of the Week because that's the one I'm most familiar with right now. Uh, there's a move that's act under pressure. So anytime you're trying to do something that would be acting under pressure that isn't necessarily covered by another move, you're going to roll that one. The one I've just posted into the chat here is not one of those basic moves. Every playbook, and a playbook functions uh, like a class would be the closest analog, every playbook has its own moves that uh, players can select from at the beginning of the game or is that they advance their character. So the example I have here is uh, one of my favorites in Monster of the Week. This is from a playbook called The Chosen. And The Chosen is your uh, Buffy Summers, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer character, who has a destiny that they cannot get away from. Uh, they're sort of a big deal in the world because they are chosen by destiny to fight the powers of darkness. So this move's called The Big Entrance. Uh, every move starts with a trigger. 
uh, or for the most part they do. There's a few exceptions, but we'll ignore them for now. When you make a showy entrance into a dangerous situation, the way Powered by the Apocalypse works is you don't sort of walk into a room and say, okay, I'm going to cast Fireball. You would, as a wizard, walk into the room and say, you know, I throw my hands up and a Fireball blasts forth into the room. You've triggered the, you know, when you cast Fireball. In this case, it's when you make a showy entrance into a dangerous situation. So there's got to be danger and you can't sneak in. This is the crash through the skylight or kick doors in. Uh, next step, roll plus cool. This is just roll plus a stat. And then it'll lay out what happens on each roll. Uh, the really interesting thing about this, and I've been working on uh, a hack of my own, is it's really easy to write for because you just kind of think about the big narrative moments in the genre you're writing for, and then you can write up moves based on those. Uh, gets very specific, very genre-based, but uh, it gives the feeling of a movie or a story that just keeps running. And I thought yeah. what we might want to do, too, is we want to, before we start getting into questions, because there are actually quite a few questions, um, but one thing that I always found really interesting with Powered by the Apocalypse Systems is the almost built-in session zero, where everybody gets together and creates the story that they want to tell um, players, the GM, everybody. Um, Gavin, do you want to maybe start off and just explain how the session zero of Powered by the Apocalypse often works in many games? Yeah, so um, one thing I will say is uh, Powered by the Apocalypse uh, works as almost different books. Uh, and what I mean by that is um, different different games will handle that differently. And, and different versions or different games written under PBTA will have diff differing levels of collaboration. That said, it is a very strong component through, I think, pretty much all the PBTA games that I've seen that there's... To be a session zero where you do your playbooks, the playbooks almost always include some way to either mechanically or narratively or both link your character to other characters. Um, the example I'll go with again, I'll stick to Monster of the Week. Uh, and, and I'm sorry, I should say too, the reason I'm talking a lot about Monster of the Week is to me, that's one of the more accessible PBTA games if you've never played it before, but you're interested in it. It's a really easy one to pick up and read through and sort of get a sense as to how all the pieces are moving. Uh, others are, are can be written, frankly, in a, in a little bit more of a Byzantine way. Uh, so that's why I keep going back to Monster of the Week. Um, anyway, yes. So where I was going with that was somebody throw me a reminder on this. We're talking about uh, world building. World building, yes. So, yeah, so pretty much every game will give you a chance to form history or form some sort of backstory with the other players of the party. Um, and you're doing that while you're sitting there, which is really, really nice, because I know uh, my experience with other games has been that everybody shows up to the game, a lot of people show up with these backstories, but nothing's really linked. So you're basically five or six strangers all getting together with your long-sorted histories. PBTA really compels you to make those links with other characters, and a lot of games also really encourage the players to create the world or elements in the world like factions or decisions about what's common and what's not. And that's very much a driving principle of PBTA as well. And I will throw to Dwan at this point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of games are, especially uh, games where the setting can be more fluid, will will try to ha have you actually collaboratively, I can't speak tonight. What are words? Collaboratively come up with um, the setting in the world, right? So, um, for example, in Apocalypse World, um, that will be, what does this world 
look like? What did the apocalypse look like? How did how did um, people die? How do people get along in this world? Um, and the playbooks not only functioning as just your class as like I am the dude who has a lot of guns and I am the dude who who heals people, but you're also kind of encouraged to say like, well, okay, well, what does um, medicine look like in the apocalypse? Um, what do guns look like in the apocalypse? Um, how do you, how does that um, work, right? And so there is, in some games have that more than others. I mean, some games they're, they're more like, you've got um, a setting. And so it'll be to a more, a lesser degree, right? But there's always still some, um, some collaboration there, uh, some kind of backstory that they try to link together. So another way that Apocalypse World will do that in specific is that they have this thing called history. And so you'll have um, a stat with each character um, that links you with them and says, oh, this is how well I know this person. Um, and like most games have something like that, um, where you, you, you have these ties between the characters. So again, they're not just lone, lone people who are just, um, just wandered in off the, you know, into the, the local bar and got together to, to go fight crime or whatever. I'm going to put you both on the spot here real quick. Um, and I find part of the apocalypse, you, you really have to be agile with your GMing skills because you never know what players are going to throw at you. So I'm going to just put you guys to the test and I'm going to start with you, Gavin. What's an example of something that, you know, collaboratively, collaboratively the world has been built that you never would have expected from the players or something that you, maybe like a very unique or memorable story, something quick that you can sort of explain to us? Um, so I, I, I'm hesitant to go to my go-to story on this, which is, uh, my monster of the week fire engine story. Cause I think I've probably told it a few too many times. Um, I always like doing it. <laughs> yep, there we go. Uh, so I'll go with the sprawl and, and this is just an example of, um, to me, the kind of stories you can tell with Powered, Powered by the Apocalypse, where your characters can do things that in uh, other systems would be clunky or awkward. Uh, I ran a game in the Sprawl, which is a cyberpunk Powered by the Apocalypse setting. It was a one-shot for Controlled Chaos. And it was uh, basically where the PCs had to go into kind of you know, the gang area of the city, uh, hit a half-ruined skyscraper and recover the cargo of a helicopter that had crashed on the helipad on top. So they're fighting their way up uh, or working their way up through gang territory. There's other uh, edge runners and sort of cyberpunk type NPCs trying to get at the helicopter. And what was really interesting is because PBTA is so narrative, it is a lot easier to split the party, uh, even during combat, because it's not turn-based, it moves much, much faster. So we ended up with a situation where I believe the hacker of the group was downstairs hiding in a utility closet down on the lobby and doing her thing, while everybody else was running around different floors, jumping out of windows, um, you know, up and down, uh, running up and down elevator shafts and stairwells, all different floors. It was chaos, but it worked because PBTA lets you do those really quick cuts back and forth. Um, and it, it's kind of nice um, when the PCs decide to go off on their own and do weird things, they really all can. And all you're looking for is just the opportunity to tie their plots in together. So when the hacker decides to, you know, take control of all the doors, um, perfect. Now she's in a place to let the the gunfighter run around and also lock off the medic so he can get his work done. Uh, 
and it really lends itself to people are less worried about what am I going to do on my next turn than what's my overall plan um, because they're not worried about getting separated and slowing things down. How about you, Dwight? Um, the one I can think of right now is uh, we were, I was running um, Monster Hearts, which is basically Twilight, the, the RPG, where the characters are teenage monsters. And um, basically, um, one of the characters had uh they were they were going into the woods to fight some monster um and basically they were like yeah uh, we don't actually care about this monster because it seems to be targeting someone we don't even care about um and then it turned out that it was their friend who happened to be a werewolf but they didn't know it at the time and so then they were like oh shit actually we do care about this and we're gonna go stop that and so it was it was just really funny that we got to this point where people were just like, well, you know, I don't even want to deal with this. This guy, this guy looks really tough and we sh we're not going to fight it, which is already a different thing than you would see in most um, Dungeons and Dragons games, because people are going to be like, well, there's got to be a way to kill this guy. We're going to do it. Whereas in this game, they were like, we don't need to do this. We're going to just run away. Um until they, it, this doesn't concern us at all. Until they were like, actually, it does. It completely concerns us, and we're going to go back and deal with it. So that was a lot of fun. Great. I think uh, I think we're about half an hour in now. So what I'll do is I'll bounce over to just a couple of questions so we can get back into it because we do have a few. So I'll start off with, uh, and I'll read these from people who are joining in here. Although I love the narrative and collaborative storytelling focus of Powered by the Apocalypse. I find that always having to interrupt and interpret dice rolls to confirm specific move questions or choices to be clunky and at times breaks my immersion. How do you address this for a smoother narrative experience? And what we'll do is we'll start with Juan and then Gavin. We'll try to keep it fairly concise because there are quite a few. Um, and then we'll just flip between the two of you who answers first. Yeah, that's definitely something that is one of the things that um, if you're... Uh, that you could see it as a negative of Powered by the Apocalypse, because that is basically a, every rule is written that way, right? Like, so if you look at this big entrance, I'm making a big entrance. Um, and, and, and in fact, sometimes we'll stop the game to just figure out if a move actually triggered, right? Because the move triggers, again, you trigger it in the fiction. So if I say, I'm, I run in, I jump in through this window and um, go to stab a guy. And I say, oh, I guess you're trying to make a big entrance. And you're like, actually, that's not what I meant. I actually meant this other move. We might have to stop and do that and make that negotiation. And so that is definitely a thing that happens in um, Powered by the Apocalypse. I think um, it's, I don't know if it's ever something that you're ever going to really get away from completely just because of the nature of the game. Um, you, you might lessen it by if everyone gets starts to get on the same page and realize when I jump into a room, it's going to be a, a big entrance if I can make it right. Um, and so that that that'll um, like lower that friction. But I don't. I'm not 100% sure if that's always going to be the case. Uh, Gavin. Yeah, uh, I'll be quick on this one. But one thing that I find is really important. Powered by the apocalypse. Uh, expects you to describe the action, not the intended result. So a lot of times when there's sort of some breakdown as to the moves, it's because somebody's saying, a player is saying, this is what I want to have happen, as opposed to what they're doing. Uh, an example would be, you know, I, well, I want to hit, uh, I want to shoot this guy, as opposed to I pop up from cover and, you know, zero in on him and put a couple of, try to put a couple of rounds center mass. Uh, 
one tells you the the latter tells you what move to go to uh, because it matches with the fiction. If you just say, you know, I want to shoot this guy, I don't know if you're trying to ambush him or you're, you know, jumping out of cover while screaming and charging at him and blasting away. Those could be two separate moves. So I really, it's a bit of a shift in, in perspective where, um, as opposed to saying, which, which, I want to do this, I'm doing this. Which is interesting to me because I, I kind of see it the other way, right? Because it's like the how you do it is just telling me how you're doing it, but the intention is the thing that's important, right? So if I, like you said, if I pop up and say, I'm shooting this guy, well, what is, what are you actually, what is your intention? Do you intend to intimidate him or are you actually, do you plan to just shoot him? And that that could trigger two different moves, right? Fair enough, yeah. And, and I think intention is important, but I think it's it's gotta go beyond sort of, I wanna hit him with a sword. It's what do you want the end result to be? Um, a lot of the PBTA games, you know, you can hit somebody with a sword and not kill them or hit them with a sword and kill them. So, yeah, I, I guess you're right, Juan. I think it, it does hinge on both of them. Uh, but I do it, find that... That, that moves... was why I was thinking... Sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt. But I'm saying yeah. that's why I was thinking that it's really hard because a person could be in the in the game and they're like, I pull up my sword and I tell you, if you don't stop what you're doing right now, I'm going to chop off your head. And I, mm-hmm. and I have this sword. And you say, well... Are you just like threatening him? Do you actually mean you're going to go through with this if yeah. he doesn't do that? Which is a totally different move than now I'm I'm totally bull bullshitting. Yeah. I just want to I'm just in like but you know that's totally different than no, I'm going to chop off this dude's head if he does not cease and desist right now. And so like sometimes we have to step back and be like, okay, oh sorry. Um I know we're in the middle of this intense situation, but which one of those do you mean? Because they do two different things. Right. So that is why I was like, well, you you kind of want to get to the point where everyone knows if you're like if you're the type that really values immersion. But sometimes it's going to be really tough, especially if um, um, if the person who's really into the game right now is like not thinking of I'm trying to hit this move. They're just thinking of like, um, this is what I'm trying to do. Have you yep. found that to be a challenge from somebody coming from a game system like a Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder, where that is almost never the intent of what you're doing? It's always a mindset of kill a dragon. Has that been a learning curve for people coming to Power by the Apocalypse? Um, I, yeah, so I, I think there is, there's definitely, I wouldn't say a learning curve, because um, I, I don't want to imply that PBTA is somehow you know, a, a an advanced course from D&D or anything like that. Uh, that's absolutely not the case. It's definitely, I think, a perspective shift. Um, uh, uh, there's a lot of times where people who have heavily played D&D, uh, I, I find this, well, as soon as you ask them what they want to do, which is all you do in PBTA as a GM, by the way, um, all you do is just ask, what do you do, what do you do, what do you do, over and over. Uh, anyway, but when you ask them, the first thing they do is they look down at their character sheet because they're looking for, you know, what ability, what spell, what weapon, what do I, what, you know, do I put into play for my character sheet here? Whereas PBTA works best when they just tell you what they do and then you figure out what move that goes to. A well-designed PBTA system will have moves that will cover pretty much anything you can think of. Most of them usually have what I kind of referred to as an escape hatch move. It's the catch-all move when nothing else works. Uh, And that's when PBTA is at its best, is when 
people really just start trying to tell that story together and are only looking at their character sheet after they've decided what narrative and, and fictional um, action they want to take. And then you just look down and say, well, that looks like a X and go from there. That actually leads me into the next question, because most of the questions that we have are based around the moves. The next question is, do you find that players find Powered by the Apocalypse a limited set of moves available? Do you find that those mechanics limit players? Are they limiting? They feel like they have to almost fit into one of those six or seven slots? I I think that it can be limiting, um, depending on um, your conception of the game. Um, but uh, at the same time, that that can just be fine depending on who you are. Um, I like. I think that basically the idea is that uh, uh, if you're running a well well run game, um, a lot of it comes from the narrative, right? And so you can do a ton of different things, uh, which is similar. It's kind of similar in D and D in the sense of um, technically, you're when you say I hit him with a sword, you could be also like I bash him with my my axe. I um, kick him with my <laughs> with my steel-toed boots, um, but those are all just a to-hit roll. And uh, similar in um, in uh, Powered by the Apocalypse, um, you know, if I pull out a gun or I um, if I pull out a gun and I'm threatening you, it's it's the same as if I am I might be giving you um, a sternly worded, you know. I, I can destroy you because I happen to be a CEO who's in charge of this company. That might be the same move, but they look completely different in the fiction. And so um, it's if people can get into the, the fiction enough, I think that, that that helps. But sometimes you you come into the situation where it feels like, well, I'm still I'm hitting the same move over and over again um, because they just are so similar. Um, and then, then it feels kind of weird in that you're just like, well, I'm just rolling the same thing over and over again. And that doesn't feel as good, I think. Kevin? So I, I, have, uh, I have one more thing I think that might just come up here real quick. Just a quick question also on the moves, and maybe you can just go on that as well. Uh, I find often in Powered by the Apocalypse, there are special moves that can affect other PCs intentionally and unintentionally. How do you balance player interests if a pvp type situation arises uh, where a player might be doing something that affects or takes away autonomy from another player how do you find that balance yeah. um so i mean i guess personally i have my character wipe out his entire cult and transmute into a digital godhead but that was just one example uh no <laughs> it, it is true uh there are moves that can affect other players but I do find one thing that PBTA does is it usually, um, or at least some of the more uh, recent iteration of games, are doing basically a consent choice where either, uh, so for example, uh, Josh, uh, my character is going to use their mystical mental mind powers on your character to make them do something they don't want to. In D&D, I just hit you with a dominate spell. In PBTA, it's probably going to be a move. Most of the time now, it's written in a way where you can choose to not have it affect you, and you would take a, possibly a penalty going forward. So uh, minus one forward, which basically means next time you roll the dice, you're, you take a minus one. Even beyond that, most games are now saying, if you don't want to do it, it's fine, nothing happens. However, if you do you know, play along, you get an experience point. And because in yeah. PB, most PPTA games, you only need five experience points to get a new ability, experience is really good to have. Uh, and, and that way it, 
any of anything that is going to be PvP or affect another player, there's almost always a sort of consent valve there where the whole thing can just kind of be shut down and, and move away from it. But if players do want to play off that, there's usually rewards for doing so, because the one thing that PBTA loves is the idea of, you know, dramatic tension. Yeah, there's usually there's the carrot and the stick, uh, yep. especially with the more recent uh, games. Yeah, and and some of them are, are even starting to, I think, ease off on the stick on the basis that, you know what, um, players keeping control of their characters is very, very important for some players. We don't want to punish anyone for making that decision. Great. So, Duan, um, on the last questions here, then I'm going to go on to moves before we bounce out into things. And I do want to touch on XP and how it works in PPTA, but uh, we'll start with you. PBTA focuses on so many moves um, on getting intimate, special moves and experience for using intimate moves. Uh, I think the one that stands out to me is Apocalypse World. Uh, I think your character's special move is, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think that it's having sex and you get your special, uh, yep, your special it's the, move. It's also that. known as the sex move, yeah. So, That's correct. so why? I guess the, there's a two-part question. Why? And we get into that whole consent side of things. How do you do that? Um, and make sure, like a player that might not want to even involve themselves in that, um, how do they get to use that special one-off move of their characters if they're not into that? Yeah, so um, so why is it in the game? Is because Vincent Baker decided to make that game, right? Um, and specifically in, in um, the Apocalypse world, it's kind of a grittier kind of, um, like, uh, it's kind of based on like crime crime movies and and uh is what was what he said in the past right is that it's not just apocalypse world stuff it's also technically kind of like a crime movie um aesthetic is what you have right and so a lot of things are the world is bleak there's a lot of crap going on but there's a lot of adult things going on right he wanted a very adult world and also he didn't he didn't want to stigmatize um, sexuality. Um, um, enough people have had have had issues with it over the years that make it like shows that he had a point. <laughs> that it's so. I mean, the whole idea of is to go to go to the next point. Your next question about like how do people consent? Well, like they should be consenting anyway, right? Like the whole idea is that um, these in, these moves are are happening in a moment of intimacy. So the idea would be that. You say, hey, these two characters go off into, and, and, you know, the whole point is not that you have to lovingly detail um, everything that happens between these characters, right? Um, we have different kinds of safety tools like fade to black, you know, lines and veils and things like that, which people have been using since time immemorial, right? Like, I, I'm sure that when Gygax threw in that um, the wandering streetwalker table, people were not you know just saying like well now i got it we got it we got to do this on on screen now um so like the idea is that there are these human interactions people are going to um uh <laughs> are gonna fall in love or or at least um you know fall in lust and these situations are going to happen but the interesting thing to me about it is how each character's different move kind of tells you a little bit more about the type of person they are so, for example, if we go back to Apocalypse World, when um, the driver has sex, it's basically like you can't, you you gotta like um, say you can't control me, you know. 
And um, so there's like a different um, personality there than some some other characters who might be like, oh, I, I, I'll give you a gift because I can do that. Um, so um, to, to reiterate, I probably would not um, show up the screen <laughs> that stuff, but I mean, it's still, I can still say that it's part of the game. Um, I, and, and personally, I don't have a problem with it any more than I do with, you know, all the extreme violence that we got up to in our Apocalypse World game. It is, <laughs> it is, it is, um, it is um, um, worth noting that in later games that they've, a lot of times people have said that it's an intimacy move, so that it is not just set. Um, it can just be like an, just a moment of you've shared, you have a really shared connection with someone. Um, you've shown them a really um, moment of vulnerability. And uh, yeah, a ton of games have actually just, just gotten rid of it because, you know, some people are just don't feel comfortable with that or it doesn't fit that setting that they're going for, right? Yeah. What about you, uh, Gavin? Um, yeah, so I, I think it's uh, just to build on what Duan said there, uh, the sex moves got a lot of press when Apocalypse World first launched. Um, I believe that uh, Apocalypse World is one of the few that maintains them um, even sort of straight into intimacy moves. There's actually lots of PBTA that doesn't have any such thing. Uh, Monster of the Week does it a little bit differently. Uh, you don't sort of trigger a special move when you have sex. In Monster of the Week, it's when you spend luck. Um, some of the playbooks ha will trigger a special move because that goes more in the tone of the game. Uh, the hack I'm working on is going to be set in the Weird West. Every playbook is going to have a special move kick in when you spend a point of luck because that genre is so much about the idea of, you know, gamblers and gunslingers and surviving by good fortune as much as by skill. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with Juan. I mean, the sex moves work for Apocalypse World. I will say, just as a quick uh, one-off, um, I do not recommend Apocalypse World as the one to read if you're trying to learn PBTA for the first time. Uh, Vincent Baker did some really, really great stuff uh, in the rules, but the way it is written is a little arcane, and it can be difficult to pick up um, where the rules separate from the f narrative. Not that they're ever supposed to, uh, but because much of the rules text is written in sort of in-game tone and language, it can be a little frustrating, I think, if you're just trying to figure out how things work. Uh, but that said, once you read another PBTA game and get the basic uh, down comfortably, I, I definitely read Apocalypse World because it's just brilliant in terms of some of the stuff it, it adds to the gaming conversation. Cool. All right, Gavin, I'm going to come right back to you. We have a couple more questions I want to hit before we wrap up. So, Gavin, uh, PBTA covers a lot of genres. How would you play genres that are wildly outside of a player's familiarity while treating the genre with respect and not turning the characters or the game into an echo chamber of stereotypes? The example that was given, Velvet Glove, a game where, for example, a bunch of how do you have 35-year-old men role-play 16-year-old girl gangs from the 70s and not make it a stereotype? Yeah, so... Um... There's no question, because PBTA can point itself at so many different genres, uh, there are some that are going to be more sensitive than others. Uh, two that I have just actually on my desk in front of me, I pulled off the shelf as Josh was talking right there, are Spirit of 77, which is a PBTA game that lets you emulate all the sort of trucker, kung fu uh, movies of the 70s, late 70s, uh, which is, you know, just brilliant in terms of the the 
the, the potential for gaming. Uh, it's one I haven't run and one that I would run very carefully, obviously, because of the problematic attitudes and stereotypes that were all through that uh, genre of film. Uh, the other one I have is The Watch, which is a PBTA game in which uh, it's a somewhat traditional fantasy setting, but it's one where the rising shadow has effectively rendered men unable to fight back. Uh, and as such, the remaining resistance forces are entirely women. And the game is very much uh, one that seeks to explore the traditional fantasy campaign uh, from a, a, a woman-centric point of view. And again, that would be one that I certainly wouldn't consider myself qualified to run competently. And I could certainly understand uh, why certain players either wouldn't want to play in that with certain GMs or wouldn't be comfortable playing it themselves. Uh, PBTA, like any other game, is about comfort. Um, I encourage people to try you know, different things in gaming, but you also have to understand what you're comfortable doing. And you know, it really the same same advice applies with PBTA as any other gaming group. You know, talk to the people you're gaming with, talk to the person who's running if it's not you, get a sense as to where their boundaries are, what their limits are, let them know what you're comfortable with. And uh, you know, game where you feel safe. And I gotta say, just from my personal experience, there's a game, a PBTA game that I love as a concept, and I always kind of wanted to play. I've never done it just on the interest <laughs> of not being sure that I'm going to be able to do it right. And that's Blue, Bluebeard's Bride, which is a fantastic. It's one of the best written games in the book. is beautiful, but I just don't know that I I have the capability of doing it as well Absolutely. as I could. Um, Duan, same question to you, real quick. Yeah, if we want to do that fairly quick, I want to. Uh, we have a couple more questions to hit. So, what do you think? Yeah, so uh, pretty much the same as Gavin. Uh, I was going to mention Bluebeard's Bride is another one that is difficult. Um, uh, even currently, we're running um, uh, Night Witches, which is about um, Soviet airwomen in World War II. And that also touches on a lot of uh, sensitive topics like um, you know sexism, um, bigotry, um, patriarchy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so you, you want to try to be, um, very sensitive and, um, allow a lot of outs and, but that, but like, uh, as Gavin has said already, like, that's something that we should generally be mindful of no matter what system. we're. Great. All right. So we've got a couple more questions and I think I'm going to wrap this next one into one. Um, and we'll start with you, Duan. Uh, especially given the prevalence today where 5e pretty much defines the current zeitgeist conception of what an RPG is. I feel that Powered by the Apocalypse is not a good system to introduce RPG play. In fact, I would argue that the play experience is best enabled where the players are, are experienced and enthusiastic role players. Would you agree? Why or why not? And the second part of that question is why should anybody play anything other than D&D 5e? Um, I, but I don't agree. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I don't think that there's any reason for, to think that, um, D&D has to be your first, um, your first game. I, it wasn't mine. So, I mean, I, I, I don't really think that you have to start anywhere, right? Um, you can take any game on its own merits and say, okay, this is, this is a way to play this game. Um, and so, uh, that is the way I look at it. I, I just think, I mean, sure, um, there's no question. D&D is extremely popular. I, I played it for years. Um, and um, people love that game. And, you know, a lot of people, it's, it's clearly big in the, cost, um, the consciousness of gamers. 
but I don't think that that necessarily means that, well, this is the one you have to start with. You have to begin here and, and that somehow you would get a lesser experience. Like you couldn't jump from one to the other. Um, people have different experiences. Um, people have um, different likes and biases and some might just decide that, hey, I like this type of gaming more than that I like D&D, or, or they might not. Why you might play something other than D&D is to get outside of your comfort zone or, or to just to learn new things, right? And to try different um, genres, um, or even just to see how um, you could um, approach something in a different way. Um, so for example, again, when we talk about um, a lot of PBTBA games, they they're they're more they work in a more narrative focus, and so that can give you some more understanding. Like so, for example, um, things that you can pull into it from 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 PBTA is something called um, failing forward, which is basically the idea of the reason why the dice kind of roll out that way, where a seven or higher means that you are you succeed is because um, failing and just being shut down is boring and just kind of sucks, right? Like, it's like, okay, so I rolled this dice and nothing happened. So what they try to do is like, yeah, some, you failed, but this, right? And so you, what you want to do is to make sure that there is a way, a path forward, right? Because in a story, um, really, when, so when you fail, failure is really just an obstacle, and now you have to look at something else. But being told that, okay, yeah, we just stopped, nothing happened, and we're still here. And, you know, especially in a game, I, I remember when I was playing a lot of D&D &D and I played with these massive groups of, like, maybe it's not so massive nowadays, but, like, you know, six or seven people. And so you take all this time to get around to your turn, you'd roll a dice, and then it was like, no, nah, nothing happened, sorry. Okay, I, I'll, co I'll come back in, in 15 minutes, and then, <laughs> and then nothing else will happen, or maybe something will happen then. And so um, that's at least one one um, lesson we can learn from a different type of genre is that they're like, okay, well, no, actually something could happen. It might not be great, but at least the fiction is changing and you're like now in a new situation. So you at least have that to look. What about you, Gavin? What's your, what's your thought on that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I guess certainly what Dwan has said, uh, the, the reality is, is yeah, I mean, D&D &D is, is the, you know, the elephant in the room, the 200-pound gorilla. It's really not the be-all and end-all to gaming, and I don't recommend it necessarily as everybody's starter game. Uh, it certainly works as such in terms of the availability of players, but uh, there's a lot of people who look at, you know, the expense uh, that involved in getting involved in D&D &D if you're going to buy hardcover books compared to PBTA. Uh, the sort of degree of system mastery that's necessary to, you know, play and enjoy. And I know that all of this is very much debatable and depends heavily on your GM. Uh, but I would argue that PBTA requires a little less system mastery to get up and off the ground. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, for me, the big thing about PBTA is that uh, the, the main things that drove me away from D&D, &D, at least to, from running it, were how long combats took, and the amount of prep time that I was putting into session where I could run it. And PBTA solves both of those problems for me. One, by not having sort of separate mechanic systems for combat as D&D does. And two, for just having a much more free-flowing and narrative pace to it that doesn't require as much sort of uh, plotting and preparation for sessions in advance. 
So we are getting close to our time. I have a couple more questions for you, but I want to just open it up to the two of you for the next five or so minutes um, and just let you discuss and, and, and just talk, talk shop, I guess, whatever it is that you need to say or want to say about Powered by the Apocalypse, whatever you think we might have missed. Um, why don't I leave that to you and then we'll wrap up and I have a couple more questions just uh, for the, the listeners. Duan, what, what, uh, did you have any one thing you definitely wanted to say to the listeners? I know you prepared a lot, so I, I feel like I, I want to give you some chance to say something. I, I mean, yeah, I, I made some notes. Um, so <laughs> I guess uh, two, two main things that I really like about PBTA that I think you can take from PBTA and, and bring to other games. So for the D&D GMs or other system GMs here, a couple of things that I think you can really just take um, wholesale. One thing that PBTA does, and Duan, actually correct me if you can think of another game that's done this before, uh, but PBTA, most of the PBTA games out there, award experience when you fail to do something. So you roll uh, your move or you know your attempt to do something and you fail, and that's when you mark experience. And that's something that, to me, every game should incorporate. Uh, because it, it has a couple of effects. One, I think it adds to the verisimilitude of your world because I think there's a, a reasonable argument to be made that failure teaches better than success. Uh, but the other big thing is, is when players know that they can pick up that, you know, XP that they crave by failing, they're more likely to try to do things that they may not succeed at. And they're more likely to try to do things that lie outside their character's sort of uh, areas of specialization. Because, yeah, you may not, you know, your big tough bruiser may not succeed when he tries to talk his way past the uh, bouncer at the club. But if he fails, he gets to mark experience and then he can hit him. So all good. Uh, the other thing that the majority of PBTA games do, and uh, I will post um, a, an example of this in the chat at some point, uh, if not right now, is agendas and principles. And this is something I recommend that anyone who's going to run a game check out. All it is is basically a few key sentences before you ever start as to what your agenda as a GM is in the game. Uh, so I'm going to go back to Monster of the Week. Um, yeah, so Monster of the Week, the agendas for the hunters, which are the players, is basically act like you're the hero in the story, because you are. The damn monsters and stop them. Play your hunter like they're a real person. Just kind of three points, but they really kind of set down um, where you can fall back to. Uh, if at any point you're not really sure what you're supposed to be doing, you know, you go back to your basic agenda. And the GM... Uh, also has their own agenda points, which tend to be longer and, and uh, more detailed. And I'll flip this to Duan now, and I'll find an example of that and throw it up in the chat. Yeah, so I guess one interesting thing about um, XP on a miss, so getting XP when you miss, uh, is that it didn't appear in, in Apocalypse World. What they did there was they said, highlight a certain stat. And so whenever you rolled that stat, that's when you got XP. Um, later games added it. It's specifically, I think it was Dungeon World was the first one to do it. I believe or, so. And that was specifically because they couldn't figure out how to do um, highlighting properly because they were like, um, I'm, you roll a lot more in a Dungeon World game because you're in a dungeon and you're fighting a lot. And so they wanted to um, take the sting out of, because you roll more, you're more likely to fail. Uh, so I just find it interesting that almost every um, game after that basically was like, yeah, yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, it, it, I personally love it, and I would suggest to any D&D GM out there, um, you know, next time one of your players really truly face plants, give them an XP award for it. Uh, and I think you'll find that your other players will see that and maybe be a little bit more willing to try something that they're not necessarily likely to succeed at. All right, so we're coming close to our time. I'm just going to give you a quick hit question. For the both of you, we'll start with Duan. Um, what two games would you suggest for a new player that are in the PBTA system, um, and why? Um, I like Urban Shadows because I like, um, so Urban Shadows is an urban fantasy game where you are monsters, where a lot of you are monsters. Um, it's, you know, um, drawing on things like Buffy and, um, uh, what's that guy? The wizard guy, <laughs> Harry Dresden. Oh, uh, Harry Dresden. Like yeah, and things like that. Um, and um, but it's it's more yeah, more, more Harry Dresden than Buffy in that you're older rather than the Monster Hearts game. And the reason I take that one is because it's from Magpie, who they they did a really good job with coming up with um with distilling the rules, uh, and making them more accessible for PBTA. So that I think that's a good one to start with. Um, most of the week is also pretty good, right? Because these are these are pretty straightforward things that um, a lot of um, players are generally going to be familiar with. Like you've probably seen an episode of Supernatural, then you can probably or Buffy or something like that. You can do um, Monster of the Wheel week. You can get it right away. Um, same with Urban Shadows, right? Like you've probably you're probably familiar with that kind of idea of a world where there's, you know, supernaturals in the shadows and, um, you know, their messy interaction. So those are pretty good games to start with. Yeah, I, I get two, right? So that, sorry, sorry <laughs> if I stole one of yours here. <laughs> all, all good. Um, so actually, I'm going to take this opportunity because Josh really served it up to me. Uh, for a personal plug, I am going to be starting a new PBTA game, hopefully uh, either late this month or beginning of April. I've, I've referenced it a bit. It's a hack of Monster of the Week, which is the, you know, get together with your friends and go kill vampires, uh, set in the Wild West. So if anyone on here is interested in finding out who killed Wyatt Earp at the OK Corral or otherwise running around the Wild West with magical six guns, uh, let me know. Uh, so yeah, definitely Monster of the Week, which Dwan mentioned. The other one that I'm going to plug is Masks. And this is another Magpie Games. I think this is fitting because I know Dwan loves Masks and he did Monster of the Week, so I'll do Masks. Uh, <laughs> masks is teen superheroes. And the fun thing about this is, unlike other superhero games where, you know, your stats really are based on your power uh, and what you can do, your powers are important in masks, but they're not as important as your attitudes. And the fun thing is, is as a teenager, um, other people can move your sort of um, personal attributes around a fair bit. Uh, adults always can, and then other teenagers can on certain roles. Uh, and a lot of the game is not really about, you know, busting down buildings on supervillains, although you do that. It's, you know, how do you react to the little old lady who then yells at you because you just destroyed her apartment, and now your superhero mentor is mad at you, and your girlfriend's not talking to you because you had to run away to knock the building over? Uh, it's sort of the Peter Parker slash uh, Spider-Man game all the time, and it is just amazing fun. 
Great. So a quick hit uh, from either of you, both of you, where can people learn more if they're interested in the PBTA system? Uh, so, I mean, I'm on here all the time, Assist One, but uh, no. Um, yeah, my recommendation would be to maybe look at Monster of the Week, uh, like Duan said, is one of the first ones. Uh, there are um, tons of free stuff, uh, handouts for these games. You can always get the playbooks, usually online, and they'll give you a good sense as to how the game feels and looks. Uh, but seriously, if you are interested in PBTA and there's a specific genre you're interested in, throw it out in the chat and either Dwan or I or somebody else will be able to point you in the right direction. Great. So I just wanted to take today to thank the, to thank our panelists for their time and expertise. Um, and for everybody who submitted a question and all the listeners around the world. Uh, if you want to join the seminar and the chat, feel free to join us on the KW Gamers Discord server. We'll, we want you to join our community and hear your voice. We regularly run games online and in person after the pandemic. We have a book club. We have seminars. We have more. You can join us for our next seminar if you're interested on March 25th of 2021, which is going to be our Showcasing Foundry Tabletop Simulator, which was clearly established as the best contender for our digital RPG through our debate. It trounced the competition. I think everybody can agree. So we're going to do a product showcase. We're going to teach you how to use it if you're interested. So thank you again for everybody. And I hope everybody had a great time and check out Powered by the Apocalypse. Thanks, Dwan. Thanks, Gavin.